The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and ho-ho! Have the Chicago Bears, maybe, perhaps, just possibly, turned the corner? It's possible. It's possible. It's wonderful to see a football team play competently, and that's what we've had. So listen to the sweet sounds of Bear Down Chicago Bears as we are ready to talk about a Chicago Bears victory and good guest coming up here for you, Anthony Heron, Big Ant. He's going to be stopping by here in, in just a few minutes. Of course, he of Fox 32 Chicago, 670 to score, and the Big Ten Network. You can hear him everywhere. So good guy to have on. We can talk some bears with him. Obviously, we will do that. And we, I'm going to talk a little bit college prospects, specifically those in the Big Ten that might be at the top of the draft because there are potentially some guys there in that conference that could make a major impact on the 2024 Chicago Bears. And that Panthers pick just continues to get juicier and juicier. So we'll we'll talk about that with, with Ant here coming by here in just a little bit. But before we do, let's talk some Chicago Bears. Victory, Las Vegas Raiders, Tyson Bajant, the legend. No, he's not the legend, but that's all right. Because I'm excited for what Tyson Bajant did, but I am excited and, and I think most Chicago Bears are, fans are on the same page, and that's good. Because sometimes there's the loud, vocal minority, you know what I'm talking about, in all walks of life. And, and sometimes you get the idea that more people are in line with this level of thinking. Because you're, hey, that Bajan's got a heck of an arm. They got to keep him out there. Fields gives him no shot to win. So, you, you, you know, Bajan's the guy. Let's let's keep him out there. The kids, the kid can play. Like, we don't need that attitude. We know what Tyson Bajan is. Tyson Bajan is looking to become a solid QB2 in the NFL. Could he potentially develop into more than that? Yes, anything is possible. But right now, his ceiling is limited. And that's okay and that's great. Like, listen, QB2, finding a backup quarterback. Look at how much effort the Chicago Bears have done across regimes to find a backup quarterback. 
whether, you know, or, you know, starting quarterback to pair with the rookie kind of thing. It's been a mess, a mess at quarterback. We we know the history, but even just the simple short-term answers of P.J. Walker, who gets cut before the season, Trevor Simeon, who does nothing, and I, I believe is not even on a team right now, you know, that, that kind of level of, of success, you know, at quarterback at QB2 last year. And even before that, with with the with the Glennons and and and, and all these guys, like nothing worked out. Chase Daniel, another guy that that couldn't cut it as a QB two when they needed him to play. So what what do you need from your QB two? Your QB two is got to keep the train on the tracks when your QB one goes down. That's the goal of the QB two. Tyson Bajan is the perfect guy to do that. If Justin Fields is continues to be the starting quarterback for this team and he misses three or four games, like for right now with the thumb. Tyson Bajan comes in, he wins you a game or two, you don't go 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 in that stretch and derail the whole season. He keeps the season afloat so the QB1 can come back healthy and continue the drive towards the playoffs. That's what you want out of your backup quarterback. That is exactly what Tyson Bajan can do. He can play within an offense. He can be quick and efficient. And when you're quick and efficient, you limit turning the ball over. You limit major mistakes. That needs to be in concert with the running game, which it was beautifully, beautifully. Good job, Luke Getze, on Sunday. They did a great job marrying those two, and they worked in concert together. And the few times they asked Bajan to do something where he had to throw the ball a little bit further down the field, he was pretty successful with it. I thought two plays specifically that I loved that he did was the Tyler Scott first down on third and six, I think it was, where he looked right, looked left, then looked to the middle of the field, found Scott, drilled him the football, got the first down. That was a great play. The other thing I liked was, I think it was third and five completion to DJ Moore, where it was just a straight read. It was the first or second read, and he threw it to Moore, kind of a quick slant over the middle, and threaded a beautiful needle to Moore. Like, he couldn't have thrown it better within an inch or two. It was that good of a ball. Moore was tightly covered, and Bajan drilled it in there. So, really good, positive things from Tyson Bajan. But Tyson Bajan didn't even attempt the intermediate passing game. Forget the deep passing game. Didn't even attempt the intermediate passing game. So, in terms of Tyson Bajan's future... Unless he can get significantly more arm strength, and it's pretty clear the Bears don't think he has the arm strength. And if you watch some of those throws when he tried to push the ball a little deeper against Minnesota, you, you saw what happened to that football. That's, that's the issue with Tyson Bajan right now. That's why Nathan Peterman, I, I'm almost certain I haven't seen a coach address it, that's why Nathan Peterman came out. I know they asked Bajan about it. He said he had a cannon and then deflected the attention off the, the question. That's why Nathan Biederman came out to throw the Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Because Tyson Bajan, and I saw an interesting tweet from Jonathan Wood, if you follow him on Twitter. He said that he was at a practice with Mason West of this channel, uh, you know, bare bones on Thursdays. They were watching a deep exercise, deep passing exercises for the quarterbacks where they had a, you know, a, a net deep in the end zone and they had everyone throwing from midfield. You know, Fields did the best. Peterman did okay. And Bajant didn't hit any and was short on every throw. So, so that gets you to, there. there's the limitations there with Tyson. He doesn't have the arm strength. Can he, he get more arm strength? Sure. Can he get enough to really 
have the arm necessary to be a solid QB1 at this level? I don't think he can, but that's okay because my expectations for Tyson are, do we have a good QB2 that we didn't spend, you know, a two-year, $10, $12 million contract on? A UDFA contract where you can have an affordable backup quarterback for a few years and potentially even re-sign him. You probably can re-sign him and not, you know, break the bank in terms of what you would have to do to keep him around. So there's a lot of positivity about what Tyson Bajan did. Looks like he's going to get another opportunity against the Chargers, and it'll be interesting to see if the Chargers change their defense. Chargers are another guy that likes to kind of sit back a little bit, bend, don't break. To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense for a game plan for Tyson Bajan. My game plan as a defensive coordinator for Tyson Bajan is I'm going to get my defense, I'm going to you know stack the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to take away the run. I'm also going to get my defensive backs up on the receivers, jam the quick game and force Tyson Bajan to get over the top on the defense. And if he does that a couple times, if he does manage to, to beat my, my tight, you know, line of scrimmage coverage and, and, you know, a stacked box, then you got to start respecting him more. But until I, as a defensive coordinator, until I see him be able to deliver those strikes, I'm not worried about him delivering those strikes. So that's my move as a defensive coordinator. See if, if Brandon Staley does it. It makes a lot of sense to me. I'm surprised Josh McDaniels and the Raiders didn't do more of an adjustment, especially in the second half. Because that's the one thing I, I see with Luke Getze. When Luke Getze has a game plan that's working and the defense adjusts and shuts it down in the second half, Getze never has a counterpunch. I, I think that's an issue that he has. But in the couple games where there was no adjustment, what happened? They beat Washington and they beat they beat Vegas. So when Getze has a good game plan, if the defense can't adjust to it or doesn't adjust to it for whatever reason, it, it works out well for the for the entire season. So or the entire game, I should say. So with Bajan, if he's able, you know, to beat that defense, if Staley does that then that's going to open up the entire offense for Luke Getze. But if he can't do that, then he has put together the defensive game plan for Tyson Bajant moving forward. And it's going to be up to Getze and Bajant to defeat that game plan. And that, the only way they're going to do that is with arm strength from Tyson Bajant. So it's going to be an interesting game. You know, we're hearing things that Justin Fields is going to come back for the Saints game. That would be fantastic news because I'd like to see more of what Justin Fields is going to offer and can he potentially be that guy because yes if the bears are sitting with the first or second pick and the carolina panthers are certainly headed that way we're going to have a huge conversation about caleb williams drake may and justin fields it's going to be nauseating how much everyone is going to be talking about it national media local media content creators social media it will be everywhere it will be unavoidable but if they're sitting with the third or fourth pick compliments of the Carolina Panthers, that makes things really interesting. I am a huge trench guy. I am a huge offensive line guy. I love Olu Fashanu. I would love the idea of Fashanu and right at the left and right tackle. You have those two guys around. You, you can't fail at the offensive line. Just get some solid pieces so you don't get penetration in the middle and you can keep your quarterback protected and have one of the best offensive lines with with minimal resources in, in in the middle of the you know in the middle of the offensive line when you have those two guys on the end. But as much as I love 
trenches. To me, and I think this wide receiver class is pretty deep. I think there's going to be multiple very good wide receivers coming out of this class. But I think Marvin Harrison is going to be special. I think Marvin Harrison is Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, like that level where we talk about in five or six years of his career, where does Marvin Harrison Jr. rank amongst the greatest wide receivers of all time? Like that's the conversation with Justin Jefferson. We're starting to hear that conversation about, you know, how quickly he's accomplished things compared to the other great receivers. And he's building his reputation and his resume to be compared to those guys as he should be. And I think Marvin Harrison is the next guy to start getting those comparisons. He's that good. How he can catch, how he can move, his size and strength. He has everything. He is an incredible prospect. And if somehow the Bears can bring him in, I would be thrilled with that. With that. Absolutely thrilled. So want to get to a couple more things here before I get to Anthony. Other thing I want to talk about is this defense. This defense is playing a lot better. Going to be interesting to see if this defense continues to play better against better quarterbacks and better offenses overall. This Raiders offense has not been a good offense this year. The Vikings offense was missing the aforementioned, missing the aforementioned Justin Jefferson. And of course, Washington, Sam Howell, first year starter in essence, shaky offensive line, you know, there wasn't a lot there. And we saw with Denver, they got off to a decent start, but then they fell apart and Russ Wilson was able to pick them apart. So like to see that multiple reasons going into this. I like a lot more of what I've seen from Matt Eberflus. I think he's having a lot more creativity and changing things up and not just staying time and time again in this soft zone and rushing four, which we saw way too much the first three games, four games of the season. He's doing a lot more. Certainly helps that the secondary is mostly healthy. Eddie Jackson just can't stay on the field right now. Hopefully we get Eddie Jackson back real soon and he can, you know, be together, you know, and be on the field for four or five games in a row. It's been really rough having Eddie out like that. I'm not a big Elijah Hicks fan. But the rest of that secondary, especially Jalen Johnson, just playing tremendously well. We're starting to get more consistency out of Tyreek Stevenson. He's still getting picked at a little bit, but that is a rookie corner. That's going to happen. Kyler Gordon, having him back and what he can do from the nickel position is really helpful for this secondary. And Jaquan Brisker, you know, has some flashes, has some issues, but I think Brisker's play over the last two or three games has improved, and you like to see that as well. So the secondary is really coming together. Eberflus' is, is game calling is coming together, and this defense is playing a lot better. Now, this Chargers game coming up, to me is interesting because they're not very good. They have a losing record as well, but they have Justin Herbert. They do have some, some you know, good weapons for Herbert to utilize. So it's going to be interesting to see the Chicago Bears with their weak pass rush, what they're going to be able to do in terms of bottling up Justin Herbert. That is a big time quarterback. The only time they have played a big time, and I mean top five quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes absolutely wiped the floor with them in week three, but the team is playing better right now. So it's going to be interesting to me to see just exactly where this defense is with Justin Herbert. I really like it as a nice measuring stick. And then potentially Saints offense is not stellar. Panthers offense is certainly struggling. That defense could put the clamps down with the next couple games coming up here. 
and really kind of hopefully build some momentum going into a stretch of games with Detroit and some other people on the on the schedule that's going to be much tougher than the teams they have been facing recently. And and with this better play, right? With the Chicago Bears winning two out of the last three here. And and here's what I'm seeing from this Chicago Bears team. I am seeing the Chicago Bears team I thought I was going to see this year. That's what I've seen here the last month of the season. I have seen Justin Fields play well. I have seen Justin Fields be inconsistent. I expected to see that. A defense that is playing a lot better, playing like roughly a middle-of-the-pack unit in terms of the NFL. They're above average. They're playing like top 10, 12 right now the last couple weeks. But kind of overall, a competitive defense because when you invest like they did in the defense, right, when you use a second-round pick on Tyreek Stevenson, when you use two second-round picks the year before on Gordon and Brisker, when you pay two linebackers in Edmonds and Edwards, when you pay in Gakwe, when you pay Walker, when you spend a second and a third-round pick, but it was basically... In most years, it would have been a second-round pick. 64 is the last pick of the second round with Zach Pickens. Two investments in the defensive line to go with Ngakwe and Walker. They have spent a lot of capital in both draft and salary cap to improve this defense. And it was playing so poorly that it was so frustrating. But what they've all done with this much investment, we're finally seeing the the defense come together and play as it was expected to not exceeding expectations as it was expected to coming into this season. The offensive line is getting a little healthier. We're seeing a run game. You know, when we see Justin Fields come back, will this offensive line stay healthy, help him out and can fields get back in that rhythm that he did not have for the Vikings game. So is it a perfect team? No, far from it. And no one expected this team to be great going into the season but I think most of us were on the same page with expectations. This team wins seven, eight games. If the ball bounces their way, they could win nine and maybe sneak into the playoffs. And that was going to be a great jump for this season. But what we got out of the gate was so bad that this season got basically buried. So when you hear people go, oh, it's early, don't worry about it. I will worry about it because that's exactly how the Bears got put in this situation. Because... Let's be honest, they came out flat and unprepared against the Green Bay Packers. There, there is no other way to put it. They, you know, Tevin Jenkins was hurt, but other than that, they were relatively healthy for that game. Jordan Love should have been shaking in his boots, but instead it was a, just a joke of a defensive game plan. Justin Fields was put in a situation, I don't even understand why that was all they wanted to do offensively with Justin Fields. But it was a terrible game plan. It was terribly executed. The players seemed flat against a big rivalry in week one, and they lost that game. And it took the air out of their sails. Now, week two, Tampa, better team than expected. They lost that one. It was close. Again, there were still a lot of question marks in that game. But again, Justin Fields had an opportunity and couldn't get it done. But again, they lost a road game. Okay, it happens. Kansas City in week three is just a much better team. They lost that one. That, that's fine. But if they were more competitive and came firing out of the gate, and I understand it's just hypotheticals and hypotheticals get you nowhere, but had they beaten the Packers, which now that we have seen this Packers team play against other teams, they're not very good. It actually shows just how poorly the Bears played in week one because this Packers team is not a good football team. They are not in any position to, to push for the playoffs. 
They they could really tumble here in the second half of the season, if you ask me. They have a lot of issues, and Jordan Love is really struggling overall. So this Packers team is not very good. It's a, the Bears team, not, now that I've seen them both play over the course of almost half a season, the Chicago Bears are better than the Green Bay Packers. And the fact that the Packers just rolled them like they did is just such, uh, shows you just how poorly Matt Eberflus had this team ready. So when I look at this and go, the Bears absolutely should have beaten the Packers. And if they were more competitive and were playing like they should have the first few games of the season, I don't think they blow that Denver Broncos game. I think that Denver Broncos game is they got out to that big lead. They were finally feeling good about themselves. The Broncos started chipping away. A couple mistakes were made. And you could just see the Bears just tightening up in like this here we go again kind of aspect. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So suddenly you're two and two. And then you win these two out of these next three. Let's just assume everything else is, is par for the course as it's been. Suddenly the Chicago Bears are four and three. The entire season would have a different outlook at four and three instead of two and five and going desperately maybe if things go perfect the rest of the way they could sneak into the playoffs but most likely this team's headed for six seven wins maybe less if things you know if the ball bounces the wrong way and it's because of how they started out of the gate so with this team playing better all it's done for me is frustrate me more because it's really just put on display just how poorly the Chicago Bears played to start the season, how much it put them behind the eight ball, and how much just that flat start wrecked this entire season. A season of hope and promise, a season we thought was going to be a lot of fun, even if it wasn't filled with 10-11 wins, it was still going to be fun to watch this team grow, and it still can be, but it's just really taken on an entirely different look. And now you sit here and have to question, do I want them to completely turn this around, win seven games? You win seven games, Matt Eberflus is going nowhere, in my opinion. Nowhere. And that is concerning to me. So what do you want to cheer for as a Bears fan? I don't even know. Because you win seven, eight games, you're, you're really, you know, Luke Getze stays, Eberflus stays. It's going to be a, I, I, I don't know. There, there's just a lot of questions with that. I'm trying to figure out what I want for what is best for the Chicago Bears moving forward. And I think it's a coaching change personally. And I felt that way. And I think most Bears fans have felt that way for the course of the season. But if this continues to head in this direction, coaching change is going to be out the window. Keep in mind, Eberflus almost certainly has a five year deal. That means you're eating three years of that contract. You know, and that's not something George McCaskey has ever done. He's only eaten two years once, and that was for Mark Tressman. Three years? I don't know. If the Bears win seven games, I don't think Matt Eberflus is going anywhere. He will pretty easily be able to hang his hat on the fact that after they started off 0-4, he went 7-6 and and really turned this thing around. That's going to be a really easy argument for Matt Eberflus to keep his job. So we're going to talk to Ant Heron about all this. Big Ten Network, The Score, and of course, Fox 32 Chicago. He's going to join me next. Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast. First time I've had this gentleman on the podcast, and I'm excited to do it. He is a voice you hear everywhere. He's a great guy to talk to about so many things. He is Anthony Heron. You hear him on the Big Ten Network and then Bear stuff. He's on the score. He does the post post game show on Sundays, as well as other times during the week. And you can also hear him on Fox 32 covering the Bears there. And he joins me now. Anthony, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, this will be fun. And and let's not bury the lead. Let's just start with quarterback play because that's what everybody's talking about. And I was thrilled with what I saw from Tyson Bajan, but I was also thrilled from where my expectations were. And my expectations were that I felt he had the makings to be a great backup quarterback, you know, and, and be a guy you could rely on. And to me, that's exciting. You find an undrafted free agent who can be a backup quarterback. That's exciting. Now we as Chicago bears fans like to really shoot for the moon and you're hearing the, you know, some people talking about replacing fields and all this. And, and that's a little too much for me, but where were you, uh, you know, after watching Tyson Bajan against the Raiders? I, I was thoroughly impressed. I was with, uh, you know, and the, the division two aspect sure. of his resume is always going to be there. But in the end, he, he is now a rookie quarterback in the National Football League. So once it gets to the point where he makes the team, he shows he has the requisite physical abilities to compete at this level and the aptitude for it. They're just evaluating him, I think, still on a curve because he's a rookie quarterback making his first start. And I thought through that lens, he performed really well. You know, they, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. And I thought that was the right approach to take with a rookie QB making his first start. But what they did ask him to do, he performed really well. What we saw in some preseason action that then also got to play out in a regular season game against Minnesota is that he is a guy with a quick release, a guy who's decisive as a passer and who seems at least up to this point to be pretty accurate as a passer as well. And all those things were on display against the Raiders the other day now you know, the, what was, I think the number was like just over two yards uh, yeah, two, of air yards on average. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, all right. So you're not asking a quarterback to do a whole lot. That's a glorified handoff essentially, <laughs> but there were, there were some moments that stood out some key third downs, especially multiple times in the first half where two things happened. One, he took the snap from center and he was decisive and delivered it onto third and five, third and seven. And the offensive line held up as well. I thought especially sometimes where they even did leave Max Crosby one-on-one with offensive tackles like Darnell Wright, and they were able to do enough. Now, Crosby got a sack in the game, and he's Max Crosby. He's going to get to the QB sure. on occasion. But then you have a, a a passing attack working in concert with an offensive line where the quarterback gets it out quickly and in rhythm, and the offensive line did enough to hold up. And as much as anything, when you're looking to insulate a young QB – you need to run the ball at a high level. Man, did they do that. You need to protect at a high level. Situationally, they were able to make that happen. And then the defense shutting down the Raiders in the way that they did. That Raiders offense did very little throughout much of the game against the Bears D. So you're not chasing at any point in the game as well. I think back to the early portion of the season where the opponent's putting points on the board and the Bears are trailing. And then that dictates terms to you for how you're comfortable operating offensively. So there was so much about the overall control of the game that the Bears had 
that really allowed them to to have Tyson Bajan play sort of sort of within himself. I thought that worked out really well. Yeah, I think I think it worked really well. And you brought up a couple of the the key plays that Bajan had, and I think that's. You know, you're, you're almost like on social media and everything, you're almost seeing two juxtapositions about the, oh, this is, you know, give this guy a chance. He's got great potential. And other people are like, come on, relax. This is still Justin Fields' team. And, and, and you know, both both points are, are fair, but I, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Everything was was checkdowns and dink and dunks and screens because I did think, like like you said, you know, coming from Division two playing in the, the NFL, that jump, yes, he got preseason and he got a second half, but that that jump, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, you hear about the jump from, you know, like Big Ten, like like yourself to NFL and how much people are so much faster. Like Division Two to that is, is in a whole world. The two plays to me that really stood out, you know, and he had a couple good decisions running or whatever, but in terms of throwing the Tyler Scott conversion on third down, which I believe was probably his third option, he looked – looked right, looked left, then, then hit over the middle. And there was another one to DJ Moore. It might have been, been his first read, but he it was another third down play, and he threaded the needle and, and just put it within two inches of where it needed to be for, for right. DJ to make that catch. So, yes, if, they, if he's going to be able to have more sustained success, he's going to have to get intermediate throws and potentially deep throws, and we don't know how good his arm is for that. But for what he's able to do in the short and the quick game, there, there's a lot of positives there that they can build upon. I think that's the thing where when when the Bears are able to stay ahead of the chains more frequently than not on offense because of a, a great run game and when the defense is able to hold the opponent down, then you can operate w- within you know the, sort of the confines, the constraints the offense sort of put on itself the other day. And, and it can work really well for a bunch of quarterbacks. Like the, you know, the, the way the game bookended to me the other day, the counterpart, Brian Horry, like you probably remember, Bill, they were stretches towards the end of Jay Cutler's career with the Bears where people had just gotten tired of looking at Jay Cutler, let alone feeling like his talent wasn't being realized. Calls for Jimmy Clausen. That's never. Yes, (laughs) yes, Jimmy Clausen. There there was a game where Matt Barkley was trending on Twitter because he got a couple of first downs. And certainly Brian Hoyer was one of these guys as well, where there are times where Trender was just ablaze. Twitter was ablaze with, uh, with folks singing the praises of Brian Hoyer because he got some time in his time as a backup behind Jay Cutler. And the offense did for short stretches look rhythmic and and look different than Cutler usually operated as a Bears QB. In the end, it it wasn't sustainable for high-level success as a starter, but I think, if nothing else, that's really something to aspire to for Tyson Bajan. Coming from where he came from, if you can be a guy 15 years in the league, I mean, Brian Horner had, like, they mentioned it on the broadcast, four consecutive games of 300-plus yard passes and zero interceptions. Not every quarterback is created the same. Tyson Bajan is a very different style of quarterback from Justin Fields. He's a very different style of quarterback than Patrick Mahomes or than Jalen Hurts or, you know, Josh Allen and a lot of the tops in the league. So him being decisive, accurate, and in that short to intermediate area, there's a version of that that can work in the NFL. The ceiling isn't as high as guys with, with some of the more physical attributes there and who are going to be able to gun it down the field and who may hold the ball looking for the big play because they know they can extend it and all those types of things. But in the end, can you have success with this? Everything around you really has to go well. But we, we saw that the other day, and the Bears pulled it off. Yeah, and and like you said, things need to go well. And you did mention how well the running game looked. And you know, when Bajan's getting the ball out that quickly, you don't have to ask the offensive line to do too much in the pass pass rush. But I wanted to ask you about one particular offensive lineman because I think he's really 
the engine that makes this offensive line go a lot. And that's Tevin Jenkins, who, mm. you know, he, he misses too much time. It, it's it's hard, you know, when, when he's he's constantly out. But when he's on, he plays so well. And, you know, when they made the announcement that Tevin Jenkins was going to move back over to right guard for this game, I didn't like it. I wanted him to stay at left guard where, where he was getting comfortable again. But, you know, having him and right next to each other on the right side, I did do some numbers on uh, looked at some numbers on pro football focus. And you can't argue with these results when they ran it to the left 3.3 yards a carry when they ran it to the right. I think it was 6.2 yards a carry when they're running behind Jenkins and right. I mean, I I think Tevin Jenkins is so great for this offense. He's his pass blocking has been great this year. He's a bulldozer in the run game. And, and you know, he's the type of guy if you could keep him out there for 14, 15 games a season, he is truly a difference maker. And that's been the tough thing, like your reference, Bill, just throughout his career to this point, just being able to sustain health enough to be on the field. You draft a guy as an offensive tackle. The thought was usually there in his draft evaluation that if it doesn't work out at tackle, you can move him into guard. That happened pretty quickly when the new regime came in in Chicago, but that was a preseason, an offseason, where he was all banged up last year when Ryan Poles and Matty Bufus first came in. But as he's been at guard, there, there are some special traits that are there for a guy to operate on the interior of an offensive line. And with an offense that that operates like the Bears want to operate, where you will, in a lot of situations, lead with the ground attack. And you're not going to be this volume-passing outfit at this point in your development. Your development with either quarterback, your development with any of these combinations of offensive line that we've seen. There's already been six different starting groups out of the seven games this season, I think, what, 15 out of the 24 games that Matty Reflus has coached the Bears. There's been a different starting crew. They've just been having, haven't been able to sustain any continuity up front. And I'm sure you know it, Bill. I mean, O-line is the spot amongst any position group in football where you want that continuity. So Tevin Jenkins staying on the field, being able to work in concert with Darnell Wright on one side with a consistent center. On the other, it seems to me there's no doubt that Darnell Wright, when healthy, has got to be out there. Tevin Jenkins, when healthy, has got to be out there. Nate Davis, when healthy, has got to be out there. Uh, Braxton, Jones, Braxton Jones, when he's healthy, yeah. he's got to get back in there at left tackle. The The quandary will be, you know, because Cody Whitehair can play. He can block. He just can't snap. That's the problem. So are you forced to play Lucas Patrick at center just to make sure you can get the snap from center to quarterback and then from there, what do you do? Is it Cody Whitehair? Do you put Tevin Jenkins back over there? But Cody Whitehair can block people. That's never been the issue. Whenever he gets moved into center, the snap's going all over the place, and it's hard to really get a play going when that's the case. Yeah, that, that's it's definitely a risk moving him over there. And, I mean, it's it's been a problem his whole career, but it really was bad with the Vikings there. Yeah. But let, let me just ask you really quick about center. I wasn't planning on it, but it just kind of popped in my head because I'm, I'm really curious about Dan Feeney, and I'm not saying he is mm. a superstar, but they did send a six-round pick for him. I know there were some more questions when they did that with health. They weren't sure about Whitehair and Patrick, and, and Kramer was banged up, so they didn't even know who really could play center. But, you know, we are at a spot where Whitehair's been struggling with the snaps. I think Lucas Patrick overall has kind of been struggling kind of this whole season in, in terms of getting in front of guys, you know, in, in terms of the success rate he needs to be having. You know, you, you tell me, I mean, you've played in the league. Why not give Dan Feeney a shot at center or, or even Doug Kramer a shot at center? Why, why don't they try and mix it up there? I know it's an important position with line calls and all, but, right. you know, we're kind of talking about these guys. You know, Nate Davis gets healthy. Braxton Jones gets healthy. Finally could really have the pieces of this offensive line together, but they still just have that big question mark in the middle. 
Well, I think I, I would start with uh, I, Lucas Patrick may have had his best game as a bear the other day. Now the Washington game was, you know, he played pretty well. Uh, you know, they had to move some guys around. He was out of the lineup, but as far as just being and staying in the lineup consistently, Patrick played the whole game and I think had the best game of his bears career the other day. So there's multiple things. One, the performance of those in front of you and two, Dan Feeney's been banged up even in the short time he's been in Chicago. So do you want to add another wrinkle into it and sort of force feed another guy into the lineup when there's at least an option here that you can try to say, if we do have relative health at a variety of spots, then we can pick and choose from guys who've at least been in the lineup for us this season where we know what we're dealing with, as opposed to a Dan Feeney who has certainly played in the league. There's no doubt. So as a backup option, if you have to go to him, then there can be some relative confidence there. But, you know, I think for, for Lucas Patrick last season, he really never got to play center because he banged his hand up. Right. That was the position he was signed to play. He comes in this year. And yeah, there were some difficult moments early in the season, but I think, you know, coming off the best game he's had there at center. And, and to me, I don't, I don't think it should be lost three out of the last four games. In my opinion, Luke Getze has called the style of offense that benefits the bears. Th- those two games against Denver and then Washington back-to-back weeks, we saw a bunch of misdirection in the backfield, both for the pass game and the run game. We saw movement of the launch point. We saw quick game. We saw a lot of what, even when Justin Fields was at quarterback against those two teams where the Bears were lighting up the scoreboard, he's throwing back-to-back four-touchdown games. The Vikings game, for whatever reason, the passing attack became very pocket-oriented again. That's just not what suits this group. It certainly doesn't suit Justin Fields. It doesn't suit this offensive line. With Tyson Bajan back in at quarterback, not only was there quick game, but we did see some sprints, some boots. You're not going to see QB run with Tyson Bajan, but the launch point was on the go. That aids the offensive line. It takes mental pressure off of your quarterback. It takes physical pressure off of your pass protection because I know this is an old defensive lineman. We used to even face it. We play the Colts and Peyton Manning was running sprints and boots and changing tempos going hurry up on occasion. When you're not able to get into a rhythm as a pass rush, it takes some of the starch out of you. So I think all those things factor in, but I, I thought three out of the last four games, Luke Getze ran the type of offense that suits where this Bears offense is at in its development. Minnesota was the one example to me. That's the one outlier where you just have a quarterback sitting in the pocket consistently, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. All right, well, let me get over to the defensive side of the ball because I want to ask you a couple things over there as well because the defense really looks like it's really starting to turn the corner. You know, they, they showed flashes of it against Denver, could, couldn't sustain it for a full game. And, and then, of course, more against Washington and, you know, really played well against the Vikings here and, and the Raiders as well. What is it to you? Is, is it the health of the secondary? Is it Eberflus's game plan and play calling? What is it that's really – have you seen the last couple, three weeks that has really started putting this defense on the right track? I believe the the health of the secondary certainly tops the list there. You know, in, even in the initial games where Iberflus had to take over as defensive coordinator, Bill, he was just in a spot where the secondary was so banged up as he had to suddenly kind of on a dime take over as defensive play caller that not only is he having to figure out, all right, how do I really want to put my spin on this thing? And, you know, he was involved in the defensive game planning already, already even when Alan Williams was doing it. But to actually call it while you're also the head coach and you're also trying to see, you know, make sure I'm still I got my fingers on the pulse of the offense as well. I would imagine it takes a couple of weeks for Matt Eberflus just to make that transition that he wasn't expecting to have to make. Then you're into the flow of it. 
and you get this uber-talented secondary finally starting to get healthy. And so now we start to see not only can he go more man coverage on the outside, because we saw right off the jump Tyreek Stevenson was matched up one-on-one against Devontae Adams, Jalen Johnson, who I mentioned bookends earlier, the the Jalen Johnson bookend with a Roquan Smith game from last year. That really stands out to me from a storyline perspective. We get into that in a moment if you want. But the health of the secondary overall, where you can say we feel good about going man with both corners. We have an exceptional nickel right now defending the slot in Kyler Gordon. They asked Gordon to do so much as the Swiss Army knife of their secondary. And then you got the enforcer on the back end in Jaquan Brisker. It's a talented secondary. It's a relatively young secondary. And now you feel good about your blitz package when you want to use that. But even if you know your pass rush isn't going to get home, which it's not, I think we can accept that at this point. You just don't have guys who get after the quarterback one-on-one, but they can hold up long enough in the secondary on the back end with or without the blitz to at least give you an extra beat to get home with the rush. All right. Well, while while we're talking secondary, Jalen Johnson, you know, you 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 brought him up, and really a fantastic, not just a fantastic game. You know, he finally got the interceptions. You know, I know those are sometimes a little fluky for a defensive back. Mm-hmm. It's kind of surprising he's only had one in his career before Sunday. But just not not just that. I saw you know highest graded coverage corner by Pro Football Focus. His his the quarterback rating against is is super low. He's really putting it together. You know, another guy who you know misses a couple games here or there every season, but he's really coming into his own. He made it very clear uh, after that interception that he he wants to get paid by the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and you know, certainly you know in terms of holdovers from the Ryan Pace era, Komet's already been paid. There's not too many other guys left. I think they might want to extend, but Jalen Johnson certainly looks like a guy that even with a little bit of an injury risk is a guy you want to keep around for for years to come. I completely agree, man. Um, the, the level of play that we've seen from Jalen Johnson really throughout his career has been pretty stellar. I, I called a bunch of his games when he was in college at Utah. He, he for whatever reason, and I, I can go into a couple of the reasons why, he's never been a guy with big interception numbers, but it's not for lack of ball skills. There are some defensive backs, there are some corners who their ball skills are a little bit suspect, and they just don't pick the ball off at a high level partly because of that. Jalen Johnson's style of coverage, I, I don't think, you know, really leads to a lot of interceptions because he's willing to try and bait quarterbacks, but then the drive phase, he does, he's not necessarily as special in what we term as the drive phase where you transition out of your pedal and then react downhill towards the football. He doesn't get there at a, at a rate that really allows him to completely undercut a pass with a lot of velocity on it. But he knows that. He has a sense for that. He knows himself. He reads routes so well. And I would compliment maybe a little bit with like a Darrell Revis, where Darrell Revis, you know, he just had an exceptional sense for things and coverage. He didn't have huge interception numbers all throughout his career either. I'm not saying he's a future Hall of Famer, but in style, I would throw a Darrell Revis comp in there by comparison to a, a Deion Sanders type, where just the drive phase and the speed, the recovery is off the charts. That's not Jalen Johnson. He doesn't have the longest limbs in the world either so having super long arms can enhance that as a corner but his his cover ability his reading of routes his confidence on the outside whether he gets beat or not is just out of this world so i I really do hope the bears find a way to keep him around and the other bookend i was referencing there because the last game that the bears had won at home before this last game was september 25th last year against the houston Texans. that was the last time the bears had won at soldier field that was the last splash game of Roquan Smith as Bears linebacker. 16 tackles, a couple tackles for loss, a game-clinching interception 
to close the show. And then very similarly, afterwards, when asked about it, he's like, yeah, I, I, I think I deserve to get paid. I think I've earned that right. And this is the type of game that really should cement it. Similar sort of vibe from Jalen Johnson here with the game we just saw. And I hope it's not the last splash game we see from Jalen Johnson at Soldier Field because in a similar space with Roquan, he's a player who's just beginning to enter his prime. And to me, you know, it's different than last season as well. One, Jalen Johnson, a more premium position than an off-ball linebacker. But then also, you're beyond the teardown phase. This is where Ryan Poles should be starting to try and stockpile talent that can be a part of success in the future. Now, I don't know what Jalen Johnson is asking for. I don't know if he's asking to be the top paid corner in the sport or what. I don't think he's necessarily that guy. He's not the best in the business. But man, does he deserve a big payday because he's one of them. Yeah, he and he's really coming into his own this year at the right time for him. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of things about college, but before I do, just one other one on the Bears. And, you know, you know, you being a, a former D-line guy, I want to talk about that because I, I know you said the pass rush isn't great. We all we all can see that and it doesn't look like it's going to get much better this season until they spend on it or use draft capital on it. But one guy I do want to ask you about is Jervon Dexter, because I think that's a guy who has steadily been improving and getting yeah. some more opportunities. And, and is you know, he, he's not showing up on the stat pages per se, but he's really starting to be more of a disruptor in there. And I think starting to come into the role that that Eberflus and Pohl saw for him at the, you know, when they drafted him. What have you seen out of Javon Dexter this year? I, I agree. I think that's a, a great assessment of where he's at in his development. And frankly, even Zach Pickens, I would put in that similar regard as well. And it, it was interesting. I keep mentioning bookends. I hadn't even really thought about the bookend of Bilal Nichols. Bilal Nichols was on the field for the Raiders the other day. And he was also a guy similarly to Javon Dexter, who in college was a two gapper, a match step guy who wasn't in a system that really penetrated very frequently. He was pretty quickly able to transition, though, in his time with the Bears into being a guy that could get up field, that could anticipate the snap count, even though that wasn't the scheme that he was in in college. Dexter, his transition hasn't been automatic or easy here, but we're seeing some progress that I think is showing up there with at least moving the line of scrimmage back, not just, you know, sort of trying to occupy blockers as he might have been accustomed to in college, getting that first step, closing on the blocker, closing on the pocket and forcing the line of scrimmage to have to belly impacting the line of scrimmage. I thought Zach Pickens really showed some nice moments of that over the last couple of weeks but especially some moments against the Raiders the other day as well. So both these guys on the interior of the Bears defensive front are starting to show some signs, and Dexter was the higher of the two draft picks, probably overall as the more impressive physical profile. But I think each of them really is starting to show some development. Now, neither one right now looks like your your definitive three technique of the future and like a hellacious sort of defense where they're just flying into the backfield every snap, but both look like developmental pieces that I think are starting to show some promise here. All right. Now, now, yeah, I know you do stuff for the the Big Ten Network and do plenty of college football. So I want to ask you about this because it feels like there may be we might be headed towards a little bit of a Big Ten flavor here for the Chicago Bears draft. Hmm. And and obviously it's going to depend on where they end up. So I'm going to I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation that's impossible to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And that is uh, let's say that the Bears keep playing better because I think they've kind of turned a corner and they win six, seven games, whatever it might be. So they're, they're picked. Pick you know nine ten whatever it might be, hmm. Carolina Panthers. Let's say they finish with the third pick. 
I, I think when it, it finishes in the top two and people say Williams or May, you can't pass on, you're going to have to move on from Fields, that, that kind of thing. Okay. If they finish with the third pick, and, and I know Justin Fields still has a half a season in front of him, and that's going to be an important half season. That's why I said this is an impossible question to, to really answer. But if you're sitting, if you're Ryan Poles and you're sitting with the third pick and you can pick the third quarterback in this draft, whether it's J.J. McCarthy from Michigan or Shadur Sanders or wh whoever it might be. I, I think that's a definite debate piece right now. But then you've also got Marvin Harrison and you've got Olu Fashano, Penn State tackle and, and obviously Ohio State wide receiver. Either one of those guys, the idea of Fashano and Wright, you know, protecting your, your quarterback on each end for 10 years, that's that's an incredible idea. Yeah. Marvin Harrison with DJ Moore. I mean, that's certainly going to elevate any quarterback. What do you do for the Chicago Bears there? You can you can cement the offensive line. You can get a potentially a, a unicorn wide receiver. Or, you know, do you move on and try and find the third best quarterback and, and reset the quarterback clock? <laughs> There's so many levels to this, Bill. <laughs> right? So I would say if it's – the the Luke Getzey offense with Justin Fields running it that we saw against Denver and Washington, even if it's not necessarily four touchdown passes in those games, but if there is pocket of the movement, call QB run, some of those things that that affect the eye discipline that frankly just look more creative than what we saw the bulk of the first month of the season, than what we saw against the Vikings, where you use the athlete that is Justin Fields. And when he's on the move, all eyes on the defense go to him. And that's an advantage that the Bears haven't utilized in too many of their games this season. But if it's that, then, uh, you know, even a Daniel Jones situation where he goes into a lame duck year without picking up the fifth-year option, I'm comfortable with that over the third or fourth or, or worse best, you know, QB prospects in this draft because you do have an opportunity. Olu Fashionu is, is an exceptional. He, he's a future pro bowler as a left tackle in the National Football League. So you bring that in for some potential competition there. Marvin Harrison Jr., we already know his dad's in the Hall of Fame. Somehow he's a foot taller than his dad. He's even faster than his dad. He's built like a Power Ranger and plays like an action figure. And he's got hands like they got some kind of magnetic grip in them like you would see from Magneto in some kind of superhero movie. So, I mean, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., there's some season, you go back in the day, you know, I, I don't know what the high, how frequently a receiver goes, top two, but, man, the guy's going to be special in the National Football League. So there, there's options there where the Bears are going to be in a strong position. So J.J. McCarthy, I think he's got a shot to, to be a high-level pro. Shadur Sanders, I think, has a chance to be a high-level pro. But if those are the potential guys versus one of those top two that, and the evaluation they're at right now, I, I think I think a positional player who you're more confident will be special are, are where the Bears are better off at this point in their development. And then you allow Justin Fields potentially again now you know, he could fall off a cliff. I don't think he needs to rush back. I don't think the Bears should rush him back. When that thumb is healthy, it's a big final stretch of the season for him. But still, if the Bears don't pick up the fifth-year option, they still have time. And they also could pick up the fifth-year option and give themselves even more time to stockpile talent. Because regardless of who the quarterback is, this is still not a roster that's a quarterback away from championship-level football. So I don't think you need to reach for a quarterback right now. You need to reach for exceptional talent, guys who can come in and be immediate impact players. All right. Well, while you you you, you say that, so then let me just finish up with this then. Are Williams and May to you right now, the, what, what you've seen from them, and, and maybe it's just one of them, maybe it's both of them, are they quarterbacks right now that you see like – 
you know, kind of no matter what Justin Fields does, unless he breaks out MVP level the the, the last half of the season, if mm. it's still kind of the inconsistencies that we've seen where he stacks a couple of good games and has a Vikings kind of level game, if we see that Justin Fields the rest of the year, are Williams and May the type of prospects where you say, as much as I love Justin, get a second round pick for him or whatever you might get for him and, and move on with Williams and May? Yeah, I'm not even sure you got to trade him, but I, I think you can draft one of those QBs and bring them in, and Justin Fields can try to beat them out in camp, and you know, and just see where it goes from there. You know, it, it's it would be nice the idea of maybe getting something in return for uh, Justin Fields, but if he does continue to be inconsistent for whatever reason, if it's because of the thumb, if it's because of Luke Getzey, because of himself, probably some combination of the three, if he's inconsistent the remainder of the season here then I, I'm comfortable with the idea of still drafting an exceptional QB talent like either Williams or May would seem to be in one of those top two slots. And they just keep Justin Fields on the roster. You know, we see quarterbacks drafted with veterans on the roster all the time. You come in, if Justin's able to beat them out and keep them on the bench, then it would be because he's leading the Bears to success. And if he's not, then you still have your exceptional quarterback talent and you have a representative backup QB who may, may be on his way out, out of town the following that season. All right, well, there he is, Anthony Heron, on Twitter, at Big Ant Heron. And, of course, you can watch him on Fox 32, watch him on the Big Ten Network, and, of course, listen to him on 670 The Score, especially on Sundays with the post-post game show. And thanks for so much time. Really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, good, good luck to you the rest of the season. <laughs> I appreciate it, Bill. Let's do it again sometime, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, there he is, Big Ant Heron. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. I love Ant. He, he's a great guy, great content, knows football so well. I, I really think he he is just just a great guy to you know. He'll he'll interact with you. Just a really good guy to to follow for Bears takes, college football takes, and and just a good guy to keep keep your eye on. Make sure you check him out on the score. He does a great job over there as well. So. As we move forward here, let's get to podcast questions. Again, that's what we do here after the interview each week. So if you have questions, fire them at Bill T. Zimmerman on the Twitter X machine, and I will get to them. Let's start with Fire Luke Getze, who says, how likely is a JJ extension to get done? At this point, I would say highly likely. I understand. I think some things were taken a little bit out of context with JJ's interview on the score about an extension getting done. I think that was a little bit, you know, he's just saying, hey, you know, I think it's going to ramp up to it. But, you know, a lot of times we'll see in-season extensions done kind of the mid to late November. You know, that's where Cortland Sutton's got done last year with Denver. You saw a couple others get done then. I think the Chicago Bears, I think Jalen's the guy I would circle, again, assuming he stays healthy here moving forward. I think Jalen's a guy that could absolutely get that extension and and deservedly so get that extension in November. I'm not sure what he's going to want, what the Bears are willing to pay. I would say kind of in that 13-14 million per year range, maybe a 3-year deal, like, you know, 3 years 42 million. Would J- would Jalen agree to that? I hope so. 
I think that'd be a really good extension number for him. Guarantee basically two years of that contract and go from there. Maybe you can get a fourth year unguaranteed on the back of that. Doesn't hurt the Bears any if the guaranteed money doesn't change. You know, that, that that's only helpful if you get him for an additional year. So for me personally, I think Jalen, like I did a I did a article for Windy City Gridiron back in August, kind of the odds of Ryan Pace players getting extended. And I had Justin Fields as the highest. Then I had Cole Komet, who obviously has already gotten extended. Then I had Darnell Mooney. Then I had Jalen Johnson. Then I had Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins is a really hard guy to figure out because of the health but he is a very good offensive lineman. Just how much are you willing to risk paying him when you just don't know how much he can be on the field? That's something that you absolutely have to consider. But Jalen has really played his way onto that contract extension, and Darnell Mooney right now has kind of played his way off of a contract extension. So right now, those are the two pressing guys, Jalen and Mooney. I think a Mooney extension gets done. I'm going to say it gets done in about three or four weeks and that Darnell Mooney will not get done, and maybe they let him test free agency. Maybe he comes back in like a cheap one-year deal, you know, for six, seven million, something like that. But I don't think we're going to see, you know, a Darnell Mooney extension. I think Jalen Johnson is the extension that would get done. How about Cav Manning at Cav Manning 9? Why is everyone so quick to say Bajan Ceiling is a good backup? Why isn't there a see-what-happens-with-him like Brock Purdy was? Why can't he become something? Well, Cav, here's what I will say. He can absolutely become something, but he doesn't have here. All right. And here, let, let me also bring this up. Undrafted free agent quarterbacks in terms of really coming into their own. All right. Who were the success story undrafted free agent quarterbacks? I think we all know him. Brad Johnson. He was one. Jake DeLome. He was one. Kurt Warner famously. And of course, Tony Romo. And no, those are varying degrees of success. If Tyson Bajan can become Jake DeLome or Brad Johnson, great for Tyson Bajan, but that's not good enough for Chicago Bears quarterback, right? You would need him to be Tony Romo, Kurt Warner level to be successful, and there's two undrafted guys who did that. Here's the problem. Those guys, Kurt, Tony Romo was on that team for four or five seasons. He didn't become successful until he was 27. Kurt Warner didn't become successful until he was 27. Jake DeLone didn't become successful until he was 28. Brad Johnson didn't become successful until he was 29. There is a much steeper learning curve. There is a lot more that UDFAs, in terms of having a complete game, need to have. And right now with Tyson Bajan, intermediate and deep balls are not his thing. Yes, Brock Purdy is the perfect template for guys that can do that type of thing. But Brock Purdy also has an incredible situation with Christian McCaffrey, with George Kittle, with that offensive line, with Debo Samuel, Brendan Ayuk, and Kyle Shanahan. He has literally a perfect situation to do what he he can do. And I will just say this, Brock Purdy was terrible and lost the game for them against the Vikings. And that's not a good Vikings football team, as we know. I'm not saying the Niners are bad. I'm just saying the Niners absolutely could use an upgrade at quarterback as good as the Brock Purdy story is, because Brock Purdy is absolutely limited, right? Or Brock Purdy is limited, and Tyson Bajan is even more limited, limited, is more limited at quarterback play right now. Can Bajan get better? Absolutely. But this is not a guy right now that you want to rely on and push fields aside. 
Fields is the much better prospect, even right now, even with all the warts that Justin Fields has put out there. He is the better prospect. He is the one that needs the reps this season, not Tyson Bajan. I think it's really straightforward. So I think his ceiling is a backup quarterback. So keep him around. And in three years, if Tyson Bajan is really pushing to be a starter and you have a really good starter, okay, fine. Then you can trade him and turn an undrafted free agent into maybe a second round pick. And if you don't have a good quarterback, then yeah, you give Bajan a chance in a few years. But he is not, not there right now. He is limited. He cannot throw the ball 15, 20 yards down the field, let alone 40 or 50, which you need to do. You need to be able to keep a defense honest, and he can't do it right now. couple more questions. We got Wiki Woo Woo, who says, given this Bears T has seen a significant uptick recently in the back seven, is playing well. Are they just one good pass rusher with a top 10 pick next year away from being a top unit in the league? No, Wiki Woo Woo, they are not. Very good, sure. But this defensive line needs massive changes. It's not just one player away. They need an impact three tech. There's not a lot of those. If you, when you're talking top unit, I assume you're talking top three, four defense in the league. They need, all right, they have Demarcus Walker as a second, you know, Demarcus Walker, if you're going to be a top unit in the league, Demarcus Walker has to be basically your worst starting defensive lineman. You're going to have him and Javon Dexter kind of in the, again, you're, you need more than four. You need a rotation. Andrew Billings, okay, there's three. You probably need three more, and you need a couple edges out of those three more. You need that impact three tech. You need a really good defensive end, and you need another solid defensive end. So they are a lot more than one away. They are at least two, probably three players away, and the continuing development of Javon Dexter. The defensive line, while it's stopping the run pretty well, cannot rush the passer at all. And if you are going to be a dominating defense in the NFL, you have to have a dominating pass rush. They're, they're, uh, to me, they are married. There is, not what, there is not a dominating defense who can't rush the passer. You have to rush the passer, and they are a lot more than one player away. They need both edges solidified, and they need a disruptive player in the middle. Let's get to Luke M, who says, the Bears can create a game plan around Tyson so he doesn't have to throw a ball over eight yards. Why can't they just game plan around Justin's running? They can game plan around Justin's running. That's what they did last season there, Luke. But the problem is, if you are going to turn Justin Fields into a running back and not ask him to throw the ball that much, you know, there's a reason why the Baltimore Ravens have totally changed their offense this year. Because Lamar Jackson was steadily getting worse under Greg Roman because he was running so much. They have changed that up a lot. They are using him more in the passing game because you cannot sustain a quarterback taking those hits and have him do it successfully for 10 years. And Justin Fields has already missed multiple games every season of his career. So to me, you can scheme it into, you know, you can run the old 90s, you know, Tom Osborne, Nebraska triple option right with Justin Fields if you want, but you're not going to be, he's not going to be able to survive. That's, that's where it is. That's the bottom line. All right, a couple more. Let's finish with, with at dude EP25, who says, who is sexier, DJ Moore or Tyson Bajan? I mean, is this a serious question? It's DJ Moore. I mean, you see that smile? I swear, he's got that little sparkle with that little ding every time he smiles. Easily. 
easily DJ Moore. All right, and last one, Matt Brown, who says, where do you place right in the list of all right tackles in the league right now? Oh, geez. We're already ranking Darnell Wright amongst right tackles. I mean, he's playing really well. You know, I don't have, you know, the list of right tackles in front of me. He's definitely not at the top of the list. He's not in the top five. You could make an argument that Darnell Wright's already pushing to be a top 10 right tackle in the league. I, I, I don't have any hesitation with that. I'd say he's top half. I would say he's no worse than league average at right tackle already. And I think he's above average. So I would say he's in the top 10 at this point, but I'd have to go and look and give you a more detailed answer than that. So maybe I will, and I'll, I'll answer to you on Twitter. But uh, all right, before we wrap up, let's do a prediction. The Chargers, Sunday night football, and of course the second career start for Tyson Bagent. I'm still picking a loss. It's on the road. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of Bears fans there. Justin Herbert, and again, that pass rush, I think I'm just, you know, I, the defense I think is going to play better. I don't think Justin Herbert is going to light it up. I think Brandon Staley is smart enough that he's going to play up more on the line of scrimmage and, and you know, make things make life more difficult for Tyson Bajan. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think the Bears are going to rally behind Bajan again. But I think it's going to be clear after this game that Justin Fields definitely gives the Bears a better chance to win. So I'm going to say that this one finishes up 24-16. to 16. Chargers 24, Bears 16. And the Bears will fall to 2-6. and six And be very excited that Justin Fields returns next week against the Saints. Knock on wood that that happens. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. Adios.